The information shared on the Allo podcast is not intended as medical advice. Your medical care decisions should be made in consultation with your physician who is familiar with your specific case. Hi, welcome to the Aloe Podcast from the Aloe Hope Foundation. I'm Bethany Weathersby. And I'm Molly Sherwood. In this episode, we're going to talk about monitoring, specifically MCA Doppler scans. We'll discuss what they are, when they're needed, and how we use them to monitor babies for fetal anemia. But first, Molly, how, how are you doing today? Oh, today I'm really <laughs> glad that we don't do video recording on our podcast because I feel, I'm like I am like a participant or no what is this person on the train of the hot mess express like that is me that's how passenger. I'm a passenger on the hot mess <laughs> express I feel like I'm still recovering from my son's five-year-old birthday party this weekend nice. and I know you also had a big birthday party for your son we did it was a 13 and 11 year old combo paintball party which oh, was Lord. like the best day of their life. But um, let's just say a lot of effort on the parents part. So yeah, it was, yeah, I'm still recovering. Yeah, that's how I felt. Plus like having a five-year-old, he now cares um, about what we should do. Yeah. You know, it never used to be that way. And also he chose Angry Birds as his theme, uh-huh. which has not been in style <laughs> for like 12 years. So I had to get a bunch of weird stuff from like used things on eBay yeah. and I had to make a bunch of my own decorations. It was just, it was just Aww, a little extra for me. You're so good, mommy. anyway, I remember when my son asked me for an apocalypse themed birthday party, like a few years ago, he was like, we can have down power lines <laughs> and things like on fire. And <laughs> I was like, no, no, not going to happen. Awesome. Um, Anyway, okay, so here we go. Let's 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 do it. Okay, right. let's do this. So let's talk about yeah. the importance of monitoring during an alloimmunized pregnancy. Okay. Yeah, this is super important because it's important for a good reason because HDFN is treatable. You just have to monitor it properly. Just painting the picture of the situation. We know that we're talking about a mother who has antibodies. This couldn't this doesn't affect the mother herself, but she may have antibodies that can cause hemolytic disease of the fetus and newborn to their baby mm-hmm. in utero or after birth that can cause the baby to become anemic. And so while you're pregnant, the goal is let's just make sure we're keeping an eye on what's going on in utero to make sure we don't have to do anything. Right, right. Or if we do need treatment, that we spot the anemia in time to treat it, right? Yes, which is such an important point in your experience too, because I know you feel like had you had proper early monitoring, you know, it would have saved Lucy's life. Mm -hmm. Right. So during my first sensitized pregnancy, my starting titer was, 1,024, which just means I have a lot of antibody in my blood. And so we knew that there was a lot of risk. And I also have anti-Kel, which can be more aggressive. So 
Yeah, that was part of the problem was I was asking my MFM team to start these MCA scans, start monitoring the baby for fetal anemia early, and they didn't think it was necessary. And so by the time they finally did agree to check the baby for fetal anemia, she was severely anemic and she died two weeks later. Mm -hmm. So I know from personal experience how important monitoring is in this type of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So so let's talk about how our babies are monitored. Yeah. So I think there's sort of two main types of tests that are important during a pregnancy to monitor the status of the baby, non-invasive tests, at least. Uh One is the antibody titer, which I'll kind of talk about, I feel like, because I have experience with titers since I always had low titer pregnancies. So I was always having my titers drawn. Mm -hmm. And then the other is an MCA scan, which is a non-invasive way to check if the baby has anemia. And that is totally your alley because you've probably had a bajillion of those. Right. Yes. So it's it's pretty cool how in your pregnancy, the disease was monitored through titers. And in my pregnancies, they were monitored through MCA scans. Yeah, that's true. We kind of represent both ends of the spectrum because yeah. my titers yeah. were never higher than four, actually, in either of my pregnancies, even having two antibodies, never higher than four. Right. And then, yeah, mine was 1024 starting out. So let's talk about what is a titer. What what are titers? Okay, so first of all, you draw a titer. We call it getting your titers drawn, but we're talking about the mom having a blood draw. Mm-hmm. So the idea is it's measuring the amount, the level of antibodies in the mom's blood. So it can help to tell you how much danger the baby may be in and that it will let you know, oh, there's a bunch of antibodies floating around in the mom's blood. So all the more potential to attack the baby's red blood cells. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, they don't necessarily tell us if the baby is antigen positive or negative. I mean, you could have a super high titer and have an antigen negative baby. So the antibodies won't do a thing to the baby. And it doesn't actually tell us if the baby is being attacked by the mom's antibodies. It doesn't really tell us how the baby is doing at all. And... Mm -hmm. As an aside, okay, can I throw in one of my favorite articles that was published on this? Because, you know, I just can't help myself. Yes, you are the research lady. Go for it. (laughs) Okay. There was a study done like a little more than 20 years ago. We can link to it. It was on anti-E pregnancies. And they actually had a pretty remarkable enrollment. They had like over 100 women who had anti-E and 60 of those ended up having babies that were Coombs positive, meaning they were affected. Okay. Okay. So caveat, this is just anti-E and each antibody can sometimes act differently and each mom can act differently. So, you know, this is always with a grain of salt. But in this case, weirdly enough, the most severe disease was in a woman who had a titer of one. Wow. So strange. So that would have been, wow. I know. That, that would have been missed, I guess. It would have been missed. Well, I guess. Right? It, so it kind of was missed in that it didn't, nothing happened during that pregnancy to treat. But that baby mm-hmm. received intervention after birth and the baby survived. Great. That's good. On the flip side, the unaffected pregnancies in that study had titers all over the place. Wow. And it also concluded, weirdly enough, that this is a quote straight from the article. There was no correlation between cord blood hemoglobin and the anti-E titers in these cases. 
no correlation. So that's crazy. <laughs> it's kind of unfortunate because it's like this is just something that practitioners have have developed to help to kind of triage the situation. It's not perfect, you know. Yes, but right. yeah, it's right. helpful. Oh, okay. And while I'm at it, since I have it up, do you want to know what ended up happening to all those babies? Like what interventions they needed? I know because everyone of just course. wants to know what happened. Okay, yes. so there was 62 babies that were Coombs positive, meaning they were affected by their mom's anti-E. Mm -hmm. And it was considered mild in 48 of them, moderate in eight, severe in five, mm -hmm. and very severe in one. No infant. I think there was oh. a fatality, but it was unrelated to HDFN. And so mm -hmm. only, let's see, it says 20 of the cases needed treatment. So 13 needed an exchange transfusion which is after birth, mm -hmm. two needed another top-up transfusion, and one needed just a single top-up transfusion, and then six just needed phototherapy. Wow. That is, that's really comforting. I know, just a little bit reassuring. I will say, though, that anti-E is kind of one of the ones that folks say are is not one of the most aggressive ones, you know, but yeah, it's yeah. just cool to have something with so with such high enrollment. It's really hard mm -hmm. to find articles that have so many women in it. So I had to talk about it. Yeah, nice. Okay, so the titers don't really tell us anything about the baby or how the baby is doing. So then what is the purpose of checking mom's titer? I mean, it is imperfect, like we're talking about. It's not intended to diagnose something. It's more of like a screening tool. It's like mm -hmm. hitting a threshold that then lets you know, okay, we need to start talking about MCA scans. So the whole idea behind a critical titer, which for antibodies that are not Kel, a critical titer is 16. For Kel, it's four, but I've seen other institutions use two or really any titer. But it is simply to say that at titers of, you know, 16 or above, mm -hmm. something could be necessary in terms of in utero intervention. That's kind of all it was developed to tell you. Okay. So it just means, all right, time to go to the next step. We need to schedule an MCA scan. I did want to jump in here and just say that if your titer is extremely high, like hundreds or thousands then it could indicate a need for early preventative treatments such as plasmapheresis and IVIG treatments. And if that is the case, these are usually done in the first trimester. So that's why it's important to get this titer kind of early if possible, mm -hmm. and then get in with your MFM to see if you need those treatments. But for me, you know, my first titer was 1,024. And so... I really did need those preventative treatments in order for my babies to survive, which I didn't get them with my first daughter, Lucy, and she died. Yes. And then the next three, we were very careful about getting that titer at the beginning and getting those treatments started early. And they were so helpful. I feel like there's a misconception out there that you don't need to do anything until you see your high risk doctor at 16 or 18 weeks. I mean, that was the case right. for me. They were like, okay, you'll mm -hmm. just wait 10 more weeks and then talk about it then, which turned out to be okay in my case. But yeah, it's super important. Yeah. Just right off the bat, figure out your titer. 
Mm -hmm. then act from there. That's an easy test that your midwife can do, your regular OB. It's a very simple test. So you can get that right away and kind of know what what the next steps are. So back to what you were saying about the critical titer, if your titer is critical, you will need to go to the next type of monitoring, which is MCA Doppler scan. So what, I'm sorry, I'm saying your part, I'm telling your part, so you need to, you have to tell me what an MCA scan is. I have never had one. I've begged for them just because I wish I could have one, but (laughs) I haven't had one. Why did you want one so bad? It's just, you know, the more information, the better. It's true. Okay, really quick on that point. So many doctors think that the less we know, the safer we feel. But it's not true. It's Mm. really not true. For most of us women, the more we know, the safer we feel, right? I think that's true. Yeah. Tell me what it even is. All right. So an MCA Doppler scan is a specialized ultrasound that measures how quickly the baby's blood is flowing in the middle cerebral artery in the brain. And if the blood is flowing too fast, it can show that the baby is anemic. So remember how we talked about titers don't tell us anything about the baby? Well, these MCA scans do tell us how the baby is doing. They show us if the baby is being affected by the mother's antibodies and if the baby is looking anemic or not. And that's Mm -hmm. what they're looking at. How fast is this baby's blood flowing in the middle cerebral artery in the brain? Which is kind of counterintuitive to me because it feels weird that it would be flowing fast for some reason. Mm. I don't know. So, okay, why would an anemic baby have a faster blood flow? Right. And I remember asking my doctors the same question. So they told me that the consistency of the blood or like the thickness and the way that it moves is different when the baby's anemic. And we know that anemia is not enough red blood cells, right? So Mm -hmm. blood that does not have enough red blood cells is thinner and flows more quickly. And then also another reason is our red blood cells carry oxygen to our vital organs, right? Mm -hmm. So when there are not enough red blood cells, our body is like oxygen starved, okay? And to make up for this, the body pumps the blood faster in order to try to deliver more oxygen to the baby's vital organs. So this is why the speed of the blood flow is linked to fetal anemia. Mm, Okay, this is super helpful. And also, I feel like we've said this plenty of times before, but it's worth repeating. This is not the same as like a level two ultrasound or a high risk ultrasound or some kind of check-in that you have at 18 or 20 weeks. This is a specific MCA scan ultrasound. Yes, exactly. And it's it's looking at, I guess, kind of the baby's blood, which is not visible on regular ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Even in my case with Lucy, we had a very detailed, in-depth level two ultrasound when she was at 16 weeks and everything looked perfect and they did not do the MCA Doppler scan. And so she was actually pretty anemic at the time. And they said she wasn't because they weren't looking at the right thing. So that's why these are so important. They're looking at specifically, is this baby anemic or not? So how do the doctors measure the blood flow? And then how does that indicate anemia. 
the way they measure how fast the blood is flowing is called a PSV number, the peak systolic velocity. And so this number is just the straight up the speed of the blood flow. Straight up. Straight up. Okay. <laughs> but that's not the main number that we're looking at. And that's why this can kind of be confusing. Um, at least it was for me. Mm-hmm. They have to use that PSV number in combination with your gestational age. So how many weeks pregnant you are at the time. And they calculate something called an MOM. And that is the multiples of median. And that is the big number that we're looking at here. That will show us if the baby is in the safe zone or the danger zone for fetal anemia. The reason why we have to calculate an MOM from the PSV is because babies blood flows faster the further along they are in the pregnancy, if that makes sense. So a baby at 17 weeks will naturally have a slower blood flow than a baby at, say, 27 weeks. And that's why we can't just look at how fast the baby's blood is flowing. We have to also look at the baby's gestational age. And that's what calculates the MOM. Okay. So what MOM is a problem. So the MOM that you want to stay under is 1.5. That's kind of the cutoff. If your MOM is under 1.5, it's considered safe. And I guess the normal, quote, normal MOM is around one. I kind of think of it mathematically. So we're literally talking about multiples of the median. So if the median is whatever it is, whatever the median PSV number is, mm-hmm. and yours is exactly the median, which is great. You are one times the median, one. So one is normal. Yes. One is ideal. Right. And then if you are 1.5, that means your PSV is 1.5 times more than the median. So that's a problem. You do not want to wait until you see visible signs of problems. Like you don't want to wait till you see fluid buildup or organ damage or high drops, because once it gets there, IUTs have lower survival rates. I was looking, you want to hear some more numbers? Yes, please. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is from one study in one center, which is probably a pretty good center, but obviously it only represents one. And It mentions that survival rates for transfused fetuses are about 92% if they're not hydropic. If they're hydropic, survival rate drops to about 70%. Wow. That is a big difference. Yes. It's a huge difference. So all the more reason. Yep. Yeah. And in in my own experience, too, I've had four babies with HDFN and only one of them had fetal high drops. And she died. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the IUT was not successful at that point because the monitoring was not adequate. So we didn't catch the anemia until it was so far along that she had these visible signs like fetal high drops. On the note of other numbers, I wanted to say while we're talking about this that MOMs are just an estimate. I mean, they're a great non-invasive tool. But they still can have a high false positive rate. And it's much better to have a false positive rate than anything else. You know, false positive, meaning that it was showing that it was 1.5, meaning the baby is probably anemic. 
but maybe the baby really wasn't, that's a false positive. I'd way rather it be that way than the other mm-hmm. way around of a false mm-hmm. negative, right? Right. But there is some evidence to show when this first started coming out that false positive rates were as high as 50%. Now they say close to 12%. Okay, so that's not super high. No, it's not super high, but it's part of the reason why you have to double check and confirm that the baby is truly anemic by doing a cordocentesis right before you transfuse. Is that right? Yes. So that is done after the MFM sees the 1.5 or over MOM and then decides that he wants to move forward with that procedure. And so, yeah, the first thing in the IUT procedure is the cordocentesis to see exactly what the baby's hematocrit and uh, hemoglobin are. Just to confirm. And that we shouldn't do that in two separate occasions. There's no reason to poke a baby once just to check their hemoglobin and hematocrit and then later schedule their IUT. The idea is you do it all in the same session when you're about to transfuse with the IUT, right? Yes. So they have everything set up for an IUT and then the needle is stuck into the baby's cord and a little bit of blood is pulled out and they test that blood to know exactly what baby's hematocrit is to see if the baby is anemic or not. And that's the cordocentesis. So while they're waiting to see what hematocrit is, that needle they stuck in is still in there. It stays there. That is crazy. They're not removing it because the more times you puncture the cord, the higher the risk. And so does a nurse just grab the blood and just bolt to a lab? Yes. Yes. They run. They There's a runner. That's someone's actual job. It's a runner. That's crazy. <laughs> and they run it to the lab and then the lab calls into the OR to the doctor with the results. Or um, so my doctor, Moise, um, when he was treating me with my pregnancy with my daughter, Nora, he had a machine in the OR that would just calculate it right there. So there's nobody running anywhere. They just, they draw the blood, put it in the machine and it gives the hematocrit right there. That's so cool. So it's literally seconds. Yeah. So the needle stays in. And then if the baby is actually anemic, they use that same needle and just filter the blood into the cord that way. So that's why you wouldn't want two separate procedures to, you know, check the hematocrit and then later come back and puncture the cord again unnecessarily, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I know you have notes because you kept notes through your pregnancies about your baby's MOMs. And then did they actually have a relationship with the hematocrit? Yes. And I'll just share them with you really quick. Yeah. And I do have the benefit of having four pregnancies, all pretty severely affected. So you can kind of compare the four. But my first one, Lucy, her MOM was 2.5. Remember, the cutoff is 1.5. So she was way over that cutoff. And her hematocrit was six. Mm -hmm. And your hematocrit should be around 40. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So then my next baby, Nora, her MOM was 1.56. So just over that line and her hematocrit was 26. So you can see that's different from her sister's hematocrit of six. Yeah. But still definitely in need of an IUT. Yeah. Yeah. That was like the perfect time to have an IUT. And so then my next baby, Callum, his MOM was 1.49. So his doctor was just being a little bit proactive. I mean, we knew how severe my disease was too. So mm-hmm. He transfused and it, the hematocrit was 28, so a little bit higher. You see how the mm-hmm. lower MOM correlates with the higher hematocrit, right. if that makes right. sense. 
And then my last baby, August, his MOM was 1.55 and his hematocrit was 25. How did their hematocrit change after they received an IUT? Oh, yeah. It all depended on how much blood the doctor gave and the method. Mm. But I believe all of them ended in the low 40s. All right. So getting MCA scans. So when should you start doing these? And then how often after that? Yeah, the timing is really important with this type of monitoring. It's kind of time sensitive. So if you have a critical titer, the MCA scans should start usually between 16 and 18 weeks, unless your titer is extremely high, like mine was, or you have a history of severe disease. So in those cases, you can start the MCA scans earlier, like 14 or 15 weeks. Yeah. And in those cases, especially, but in all cases, they should be conducted by a tech or an MFM who's been trained specifically to do them. Yes, definitely. And I, at that point, um, with my last three pregnancies, I had very experienced MFMs who have done so many of these MCA scans. So my daughter, Lucy, they started around 18 weeks and it was too late. Mm -hmm. It was too late. She was already severely anemic. And that's why if you do have a titer in the hundreds or thousands, it's probably good to start closer to that 16 week mark or even 15 weeks. Mm -hmm. And then with my three youngest, I think we even started at 14 weeks just to be proactive. And they were great. They, we didn't have any issues with false highs or anything like that, but I had a very experienced doctor. (laughs) And then also it's important that They take multiple readings. I think I've seen the recommendation is take three readings, but it's sort of up in the air whether you take the highest one or whether you take the average. But I think mostly it's important that it's just, you know, a clean scan. The baby is calm. The readings are about the same to get a good feel. It's not just one. You don't take one assessment. You need at least three. Yes. My doctors always did even way more than three, actually. <laughs> nice. Um, but maybe that's because my babies were insanely active. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, we took a lot of readings for the MCA scans. That makes sense to me. Why not? You know? Right. Yes. Yes. More data points. Yes, that's, that's true. Good. Also, let's talk about how often women should be receiving MCA scans. Okay. So yeah, in terms of frequency, It's kind of unfortunate. I think recommendations say every one to two weeks. So that doesn't really tell you which one to do. But in general, you know, the members of our medical advisory board kind of adopt this overall mentality that you just err on the side of closer monitoring. So I think that we tend to say go for every week, right? Yes, every week. Once a week, unless it's, you know, getting close to that 1.5 MOM, you can go, you know, have a scan twice a week sometimes. But I I have definitely seen fetal anemia develop in just a matter of days. And so it's kind of scary to think if you're just being scanned every two weeks, it's scary to think that that fetal anemia could be missed. What about, I know we see this a lot in our advocacy work when women are asking questions. What happens when the MOM is close to 1.5, what should you do? Oh, and also what happens? This always seems to happen on a Friday. Doesn't it always happen? These women are like, yes. Oh, my MOM was 1.45. It's Friday. The doctor will scan me next Friday, you know? Yes. 
Yes. I mean, if it's getting close to the 1.5, it's good to move that next scan up closer, scan within a couple days or whatever you and your doctor feel comfortable with. But if you feel uneasy about it as the patient, do speak up. You know, I know the doctor makes the final decisions, but this is your child. This is your child's life. Mm -hmm. And you are your child's voice. You're speaking because your baby can't speak for himself. And so you are the voice of your baby. So just say, "Mm, I would feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. scanning again sooner. I, I don't, you know, what are the benefits of waiting a whole week instead of two or three days? And then what are the risks? Always look at the benefits and the risks. Oh, that's a great question to ask yourself and also to ask the clinician. You know, I feel like you can just directly ask that question. What would the benefit be waiting that long? Okay, so what that was an awesome tip. What are your other tips for patients who are getting MCA scans? This is really important. Ask your doctor for the PSV or the MOM every time you have a scan. Um, A lot of times doctors do not offer that information to the patient unless they ask. You know, a lot of patients will leave and then have Mm -hmm. concerns or something. And then they'll say, oh, I don't know what the numbers were. They didn't tell me. So just ask every Mm -hmm. time, what's the PSV or what's the MOM? And write it down, record it with your phone or something. Keep track of those numbers. They can be really useful in spotting fetal anemia, MOMs can fluctuate week by week. That's normal. It's not going to be a direct, you know, exact line, either up or down. They can kind of go fluctuate up, down, up, down. But if the baby is becoming anemic over the weeks, you can kind of see this upward trend in the MOMs. If you're seeing a 1.3, you know, and it's generally going up, 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 and then you get to that 1.5, it's it's easier to understand the baby's probably anemic rather than if you're not recording and you can't remember what the previous, you know, numbers were, and then you get a 1.5, it's like, is this... Yeah, is it a false high? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So just record those numbers and those numbers can help you know exactly how your baby's doing. And then also with future pregnancies, you can compare these numbers with your previous baby. This was so helpful in with my pregnancies. And even my doctor would say, can I see that notebook nice. <laughs> of yours and look at like your previous pregnancy at this week? Let's see where you were at this exact gestation. And that was really, really helpful. So just com- record those numbers. And um, also, it's helpful to go into the scan knowing exactly what PSV equals a 1.5 MOM for that gestation. Mm. So, like, I would look at it ahead of time and see, like, okay, I'm 16.5 weeks. So what would a PSV that will equal 1.5 now for me? And I'll have that number in my head so that while they're scanning, I'm watching and I can know right away, oh, shoo, we're we're fine. We're fine. Isn't it funny how like that's so valuable just to know one minute sooner. Yeah. You just need to know. <laughs> it is. Otherwise, I mean, then you're at the mercy of the ultrasound tech or the doctor who's doing the reading. And, you know, are they going to do the calculation themselves? Then there's this wait. But if you can just watch it and automatically know, oh, yes, my baby's fine, Mm -hmm. you can roughly just double your gestation to know 
what the PSV number is to stay under. Okay. Let's say I'm 20 weeks pregnant. I go in and then I'm like, oh, I didn't figure out the calculation ahead of time. So I can know that I need to stay under 40. Okay. Because that's double my gestational age. I need to stay at the PSV needs to be under 40. That's cool. I didn't know that. I like that trick. Yeah. Just to give you a feel. Yeah. Without having to memorize. Yes. And then also for those who want to calculate their MOM, if you just have your PSV, you can go to this really easy to use calculator online. You just plug in your gestational age and your PSV and it tells you baby's MOM. And then it even says under that anemic or like moderately anemic or not anemic. And that just helps the patient kind of know where the baby is, you know, um, and we will link mm-hmm. to that calculator in the show notes. So make sure that if they're only taking one or two readings during your scan, you can ask, can you just do a few more readings for peace of mind? (laughs) Yeah, I find it easy. Sometimes it helps to like put the blame on yourself. Like, hey, just to put me at ease. I know I'm a crazy lady, (laughs) you know, but just go ahead. Just a few more reads would be great. I've definitely done that many times. Okay, so... Let's wrap this up. It's super important to do this monitoring and MCAs are the best non-invasive way to tell us how our baby is doing. And then and now I feel like I need to issue a caveat to the low titer mom like myself. Stay diligent with your titers and focus on delivery, you know, prepare for delivery. So just because your titers don't merit an MCA scan doesn't mean that the baby won't need intervention after birth. Mm -hmm. So it just means that research has shown that babies with low titers don't need intervention in utero. That's what that threshold is for titers. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's something to keep in mind because I feel like all moms, myself included, were so focused on pregnancy. You know, if you have the time to look into it, you can start thinking about afterbirth care, too. Okay, so I did also I just remembered something I wanted to add. If you have had an affected pregnancy in the past, you should have MCA scans regardless of what your titer is now. Yes. And on top of that, if your titers have ever crossed the threshold of 16, even if they went back down, once critical, always critical. Once it's critical, you now qualify for MCA scans. Yes. Or four for Kel. Yes. Correct. Yeah. I did. I remember helping a patient. She had a titer of four and then it went down to like one. And kind of fluctuated between one and two and never went back up to four. And then she did need Mm -hmm. um, intrauterine blood transfusions. The baby became anemic. And so I was just like so thankful for a doctor who was doing the weekly MCA scans. And she had Kel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yes. Yeah. But they could have said, oh, well, now your titer is one. Right. So no need for the scan. But... Yes. It's such it an imperfect really science, which is really I know. It is what it is. Like it's it's a rare disease. It's super strange how it behaves in each woman's body. But just right. all the more reason to go ahead and be proactive and just yes. watch what you can and monitor what you can monitor. Yep, exactly. Okay, so on the topic of monitoring, quick reminder, the two types of non-invasive monitoring, there's titers and MCA Doppler scans. Yeah, and the titer measures the level of antibodies in the mom's blood. Doesn't tell you how the baby's doing. You have a cool analogy that you've said before about the shark thing. What's that 
shark story? Yeah. Okay. I'll just try to do this really quickly, but (laughs) it kind of helps give just a picture of this whole tighter thing. And um, it's just like, imagine that you are like standing on the beach, you're looking out over the ocean, the waves are coming in and your baby is out there in the ocean under the water. Okay. And it's kind of like when you're pregnant, your baby is out of sight, Mm, right? You can't Mm -hmm. see your baby. You know, your baby's right here, but you can't see him. And so just imagine your baby's out there in the water, can't see the baby, but you know, he's there. And so the antibodies are like sharks. There are sharks in the water with your baby. The titer tells you exactly how many sharks there are in that water. So if there's one shark, your baby has a very low chance of being attacked by the shark, right? Mm -hmm. But if there are thousands of sharks, you know, uh oh, this is really dangerous right now. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what the titer is for. It's telling you this is how many sharks there are in the water with your baby. Right. And the MCA scan, that's like going under the water and getting eyes on the baby and seeing, oh, my baby's fine, you know? Or the baby is, you know, there are sharks approaching the baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so that's what the MCA scan tells us. It just you can look at the baby and see if the baby's safe or not. So that's just kind of a good picture. And by the way, really quick, we didn't mention this either. If the baby is antigen negative, Mm -hmm. that's like your baby is up on the beach, laying on a beach towel, taking a nap, totally safe. Yes. That baby cannot, yeah, cannot be affected by those sharks, no matter how many sharks are out there. That baby who's antigen negative is completely safe. And so there's no need to do MCA scans, or even check the titers because you know the sharks cannot get your baby. The antibodies cannot affect the baby. So all of this that we're talking about is only for babies who we know are antigen positive or we're not sure. Mm-hmm. They could be. But if you know the baby is antigen negative, you don't need to know any of this <laughs> that we just talked about. <laughs> Sorry, we should have started with that so that people could, we I guess, have. turn it off if they... <laughs> It's still good to know, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yes. What else? Oh, okay. Just talk about real quick, how often again? Yes. If you have a critical titer, MCA scans should start by 16 to 18 weeks and be done weekly unless you have a titer in the hundreds or thousands. And then maybe you could start MCA scans earlier, 14, 15, 16 weeks. And then they continue until, here we go, another caveat. They say that the tighter, or I'm sorry, not tighter, MCA scans are not super reliable after 35 weeks. So that's another reason. That's a contributing factor to why women with antibodies, if their baby is affected or could be affected, are induced or deliver at 37 to 38 weeks because you stop really being able to get a good picture yes. of what's going on with MCAs. Right. Yeah. Right. That's true. And that's super important. Um even if you have not needed intervention, even if your titer is not mm-hmm. critical, um, it's the, it's recommended to deliver between 37 yeah, and 38 That's weeks. true. And also, overall, I feel like this is sort of a, I consider this podcast kind of a positive one because we know HDFN is treatable and this is the stuff that enables us to treat. This is good stuff. These are great yeah. resources that so long as we find a practitioner to partner with that feels comfortable with doing the same things, you know, 
we're hopefully golden or just we're doing the best we can. Yes. And I do want to add really quick. I remember, you know, I kind of have the worst case scenario, according to several doctors. Yeah. And I remember after my my first daughter died from this disease, um, I had some friends who also had they lost their babies to stillbirth. And they they didn't know the cause of their baby's deaths. Mm -hmm. And I remember all of us together thinking about future pregnancies. And it's weird, but I there was this comfort for me because I knew exactly what had happened. And I knew that it was treatable. And Mm -hmm. I knew that we could have this monitoring that we just described. And that could lead to correct treatment and then a safe baby. And then I did. I was able to have three more healthy, safe babies. And so, yes, it is scary. It can be scary, but it is treatable and you can have healthy babies despite antibodies. Yes. And how lucky are we that this is a temporary disease? Right. Yes. Temporary. Yes. My three my three kids are just now living their life, their crazy lives. And we don't have to think about this at all. You know, mm-hmm. except for when you do it at work every yeah, single yes, day. That's you- true. That's true. <laughs> um, so so we did it. We covered it all, I think. Right, Molly? Yeah, totally okay. everything. No, well, you know, we tried. It's yeah, like we did our best. We did our best. Um, yes. <laughs> That's encouraging. Okay. We Stop. did our best. No. Okay. <laughs> I do think, I mean, the goal is always that we can't share everything, nor do we know everything. But yes, the goal is what can we share that will give every mother at least the bits they need to know to feel mm-hmm. in control and empowered to manage this. If you, your partner, or someone close to you is experiencing aloe immunization or HDFN, please know that we are here for you. We have a great resource library on our website at allohopefoundation.org. That's aloe spelled A-L-L-O, hopefoundation.org. Thanks for listening. The Allo Podcast is a production of the Allo Hope Foundation. It was researched and written by Bethany Weathersby and me, Molly Sherwood. It is produced and edited by CJ Hausch and Eric Hurst of Media Club. The Allo Podcast is sponsored by Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson.